0: Host Carl Davis Jr. talks to the rock stars of Silicon Valley and offers you engaging interviews and insights from local, regional and internationally acclaimed business leaders, entrepreneurs and community leaders to help you stay connected.
1: Today, we're going to talk to a gentleman who knows a lot about control. He knows a lot about making decisions and how people make decisions based on a lot of things. Emotion for one Uh, today. uh, Welcome to the Silicon Valley Business connection. I am in the studio without Carl Davis today, but I do have my my all-time favorite engineer, uh, Mike. Woohoo! Woohoo! I do have Mike, but today we have a really interesting interview. Today, Mike, uh, the gentleman that we're talking to his name his name is Stephen Cotino. He lives in Curacao by way of Suriname from South Amer- South America. Stephen is a well. He was a banker. He is a university lecturer and uh, and an author. Um, he he's a, a university professor at the University of Curacao, and his career has taken him from from consultancy to economic policy advisor to managing director of Canada's largest bank in the Caribbean. So this dude is pretty bad. All right. He's uh, he's currently the chairman of Aqualectrum, which is the power company uh, in Curacao uh, and is a member of the socio-economic Council. Of Curacao, Stephen holds a master's. You know that? He holds a master's in physics, cum laude from the University of, and I can't even begin to say that name, so I'll let him say it uh, in a minute. And he has an MBA in finance from Wharton School uh, from the University of Pennsylvania. So, welcome to the show. I think you're probably the smartest guy we've ever <laughs> had on this oh, show.
2: There is no such thing as smart. All right, so,
1: so tell me how to say, University of?
2: Groningen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You
1: gotta you gotta roll the R but it's gotta drop in your throat and Yeah, and that that G
2: which that, is actually the yeah. And people say, Wow, it sounds like you're talking to dogs and it's yeah, like, Well no, yeah, it's yeah. just the way we actually say things around here. So, and you can uh, see he's got an excellent
1: he's got an excellent accent. Stephen, I gotta I gotta tell you. Now Stephen is an author, I told you that before. He wrote a book. Stephen wrote a book called Breaking Rank. The, the the name of the book is this, Breaking Rank: How to Lead Change When Yesterday's Stories Limit Today's Choices. Now there are three books I've read in my life that I would say is probably the most brilliant books I've ever written, I've ever read. One one was Democracy in America by um Alexis de Tocqueville. The second one was uh University in a Nutshell, Universe in a Nutshell by Stephen Hawking. And I got to say Stephen Wow. This right here is the third best book I've ever read. So, are
2: you serious? Tell God? us. I, tell us. I'm honored you would say
1: that. no. No, I'm honored. I'm honored to have read that book, Stephen. I I have been flabbergasted. It took me three times to read. Uni- um, um, uh, not Universe in a Nutshell," uh, "Democracy in America," and I know it's going to take me yeah. three times to read this, only because every time I read it, there's so much I I don't get because it's so brilliantly written. So, tell us first. Tell us about Stephen uh, Coutinho. Tell us a little bit about you.
2: Yeah, so, uh, well, thanks Thanks again, Carl. Uh, amazing words that you would say about the book. Um, I, I'm really honored. Um, so about, about me, well, I, I was born in Holland, raised in Australia. Um, after Australia, um, I went to Suriname. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I've flown all over the place, and one of the things I... I came to find fascinating was just how different people behave in different countries, um, but one of the things I found truly amazing was that in many of the post colonial countries, people were behaving the same the same way, so you know i was I always had a fascination for behavior. Um, not really someone who would actually go and study physics but you know things things work out the way they do um but you know there's not a lot to say about me really the only thing that you can say is probably i'm just very curious about what we call reality yes. uh, and why do we call things the way we believe things are um and, and that's that's, and that's evident that's really in the, the book, book the, <laughs> yeah
1: so let me ask you this. What made you come up with the idea of writing a book and this book?
2: So I, so one of the things you mentioned in my bio was um, economic policy advisor. So um, I was actually living in London at the time in 2005. The bomb went off, and I really started to think deep, um, what do I want in my life And I decided to move back to Suriname, and for some kind of strange, odd reason, I became the policy advisor for the government. And I found it weird because despite the logic of making different decisions that would lead to wealth, people weren't actually making the choices. Now, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's about us, we Surinamese power people, we can't do anything right, we're so this, we're so that. If only the Dutch would come back to Suriname and rule us again, I found that weird because you know what, Carl? When I moved after Suriname to Curacao, I found exactly the same patterns of thought. Yeah, I remember you read these people were looking at. Yeah, it's you know. I also advised government here, and they said we can't do anything right. We can't make the right choices. So that's all of a sudden. Then in the bank which I was managing, I saw the same thing. People, despite being offered humongous bonuses. People weren't selling. People really were locked in some sort of fear. And that is why I actually started and I embarked on this book.
1: Okay, so you talk a lot about a lot of things, choices, stories. You use the word post-colonial on every other page. So yep. explain to me your, what you mean. We all know what it means, but explain to me what you mean, especially coming from the environment that you come from. What do you mean by the word post-colonial? Mm-hmm. And then I want to know about uh, uh, choices, and you've got a thousand stories in here.
2: <laughs> yeah. So post-colonial, um, one of the things that I found when I looked at the different countries I worked, there was one thing tying them together. They all went through a certain type of colonialism and colonialism has been around for thousands of years right we've always taken over the over other tribes and you know we've, we've done all that top type of stuff but european colonialism was very different Um, uh, the Europeans came with a certain story about who they were versus who the people were, who they were basically taking over. So when I say post-colonialism, I say those countries that were once ruled by Europeans who introduced a certain story about who was superior and who was inferior. And uh, the biggest story, because you just mentioned stories, is the story story of skin pigment, mm. which basically says, look, I have less skin pigment than you do. And based on that fact, I am more superior than you are. And for some reason, and you just mentioned that, you know, I went to school in the US, um, people still categorize each other mm-hmm. by way of skin pigment. It's a story. It, yes. it doesn't really exist. It is something that our brain is using to categorize people, and it's the most visible thing you can really see. But you could also say, you know, I belong to the big toe people, and Carl and Michael and all those other people belong to the small toe people. Yeah. It's just a categorization yeah. based on some random, you know, observational well, we, fact. Yeah, but well, we it's we a story it doesn't really exist.
1: Yeah, we're gonna get to we're gonna get to the tribes and stuff in a minute. I want to know. So, so yeah. qu- quick question: Why is Latin America as a post-colonial continent? Why is it growing? Yeah. And don't they have like the same stories as, as everyone
2: else? So the difference with, for example, the African continent um, was that the Africans, the, the English actually never allowed their English to mix with the Africans. So you had a very stratified society along lines of color. You were black, you were African, you were over there, you were white, you were civilized, you were over here. Um, that was the main difference between how societies were structured between, for example, Africa, the Caribbean, and Latin America.
1: Well, do you, do you, so you, do you think that um, that has something to do with the stories also that were told in those countries? I mean, oh, I yes. know Africa and Cuba yes. and, and Brazil uh, all have different stories, especially when it comes to slavery and the slave trade.
2: Correct. Correct. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, the, the stories were so that the English were very, very good at, um, at basically sharing their stories about who was superior and who wasn't. The, the Spanish had a very, very different way of looking at the world. So uh, they allowed people to mix. They had a different story about who people were. But the English and French, they were, they were pretty aggressive when it came to we are we, you are you. And... Now we're a couple of hundred years down the road and you're actually seeing still the difference in stories about who people identify themselves to be. Right, right.
1: Now, listen, we're going to have to take a break real quick. Um, we're going to take a pause for the cause. And when we come back, we're going to find out uh, a lot more about um, comparing the Caribbean to the U.S. And, and economic choices, and especially choices that people make. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Business Connection. We're talking to Stephen Cotino, and we will be right back after we take a pause for the cause. And we will continue with uh, Stephen talking about his incredible book. Breaking Ranks. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Business Connections. We are sitting here talking to author Stephen Cotino. And the reason why I got to tell you, the reason why I I wanted Mike to play that song, Stephen, is because how you talk about, uh, well, Janet said, Janet says, you know, we're a nation of no geographic boundaries bound together through our beliefs. We are like minded individuals sharing a common vision, pushing towards a world rid of color lines. You believe yeah. in that?
2: I do. She yeah. is not only beautiful, she's also very smart.
1: Yeah, yeah. You believe in in what we call uh tribes as opposed to race. We had a conversation before and I said I believe in the human race, but I spell it H. U. E dash M A N, meaning the colors of the rainbow or the or the yeah. shades of color. Um and and that's what she's talking about, and that's what you're talking about. Instead of having races, we have we should have tribes uh, that that uh, transcends race.
2: Yeah, our, our mind is very tribal. Uh, it, it still is. Um, every time we see someone, we see see someone which is different than our tribe, we start to categorize them. And nine out of ten times, we categorize them negatively. Yeah. Our brain needs that from an evolutionary perspective because then we can actually control ourselves and their behaviors. If I know that you are someone based on how you look or how you, you know, where you come from, then all of a sudden I can be safe because, you know, our interactions are now being defined by my categorization of you. Mm -hmm. And that's just tribal. You know, once, once one tribe looked at another tribe and said, ooh, you may potentially kill us, let me make a story about you, and in that way I actually know what to do with you. You you have but a you
1: have a never real. you have a belief about control, uh, the mm-hmm. control of our minds um, uh, throughout history. How that has uh, shaped and created nations in a way. Uh, explain mm-hmm. to me a little bit about your your story of control, uh, and and how sure. that and how that how that controls our minds.
0: Sure.
2: So, control is basically our most our most essential need of any organism, including the human species. We need to control our environment. And if we cannot control our environment, we have to control ourselves. And basically, you know, coming back to stories, to control my environment, I need to know how that environment looks. I need to be able to categorize things in that environment. I need to know that this is a chair, that is a bed, this is a table. And in this way, I know these things are not going to eat me if I cannot control the people around me, then I start to control myself. I start to inhibit my own actions because I cannot control things around me. You know, what left is there but to control myself?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And at the end of the day, if I look at myself, my own story, you know, I was brought up in Australia and in Australia I was considered black. And what happened was that people started to reject me. Oh, you're black, You're you know, your nose is too big, your lips are too big, blah, 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 blah. What happens, my primitive mind says, I am being rejected by my environment. My environment is shutting me out. My tribe of humans does not want me around. And about half a million years ago, if my tribe would actually push me out, I would die. So what happens is my emotions start to get, you know, I become sad. I become depressed because I do not have control of my environment. My tribe is is shutting me out. And now, all of a sudden, I have all of these negative emotions because it's basically my mind telling me, warning, warning, warning. You're being pushed away. So,
1: so is that what you call that learned helplessness? Is is that the beginning of learned helplessness?
2: I think it's the be Well, learned helplessness is when your environment is constantly telling you, "You can't, you can't, you can't," and indeed. After a while, your brain does tell you, don't move, don't move, don't, don't make any other, because potentially your tribe may totally shut you out. And if you take it on a societal level, when everyone looks at themselves at the mirror, and they see, for example, color, and they say, wow, you know, this is not accepted by the human tribe, I am black, I have curly hair, and the story is that I'm actually being pushed out, I'm inferior, I start to have different types of choices, I start to develop learned helplessness, I can't, I can't, I can't. Mm -hmm. And that you see that type of decision-making pattern across the post-colonial world, where people don't take risks, they don't look towards the future, because their primitive mind is basically just trying to help them survive. If you look at the U.S., you see that African-American uh, population, a large part of that, isn't investing, for example, in the stock market. And this is just genera- you know, controlling for socioeconomic factors. They still don't do it, why? Because there is still this part of the mind which says, I can't, let me focus on today, let me focus on the ego, because the ego mind is basically just trying to protect me from being pushed out even further out of the tribe.
1: Okay, so how so, the story. so? How so? How do the stories? Um, how does the stories shape economic growth? Um, how uh, do your stories influence people's choices?
2: Uh, yeah. So um, it's you know at the end of the day, this all comes down to a social rank, and mm. every animal you know if if they have a certain rank and they're at the bottom. You are there basically to survive. Now, for people, because our brains work a certain way, if I believe I am at the social bottom, I won't make any. I won't make any choices which will may put me in, further in danger. Mm-hmm. So, what you see across the post-colonial world is you see a, uh, a tendency for people to uh, to move away from risks, and it is just that mind which is telling them, "Don't move." you also see a very short-term orientation across the post-colonial world. And again, it is because people, because of the stories that shape their society and tell them who they are, they're not looking at the future. Any animal which is under threat of being pushed away from the tribe, they're basically saying, let me focus on now. Let me focus on survival now. These are all workings of a mind which is living in a world which is literally formed by an illusion, an illusion of who they are. But these stories are not real, but their mind their brain is literally telling them you are a certain person based on a story of four or five hundred years old, and because of that story, people 's decisions are being influenced
1: okay okay so so how how would you compare the Caribbean and the u s mm-hmm. when it comes to the stories
2: of self uh, and the stories of others so uh, I've lived in both places um, I find that in the U.S., um, especially in the uh, the downtown areas where you see a large population of Afro-Americans, for example, in Philadelphia, I, I did find the same patterns of thoughts about who they were and what they could and could not. I do believe that the Caribbean, it's a lot stronger because there's less activism here We really haven't had the the civil rights movement because for some kind of reason here, things have become accepted. Um, People are the way they are. And in the U.S., a lot of people have said, no, we do not accept this situation. So you do see less of the patterns, but you still see the same patterns in the U.S. And at the end of the day, the consequences still remain the same. People are not making those decisions that they need to make to actually lift themselves out of the situation they're in. And what happens, Carl, is that many people try and still climb the ladder, not through money, but, for example, through looks. And let me give you an example. Why am, I, why am I bringing this up? If you look at how many people today, how many Afro-American people or people of African descent are still straightening their hair, why are people doing that? Well, the reason is simple, because the story of beauty is still one of white people with long, straight hair. And people's minds are still trying to conform to a certain stereotype of beauty. And here in the Caribbean, for example, you walk all over the place and the posters that you see have nothing to do with black people. They're all white people. Mm. I'm living in the Caribbean, right? Mm. And it's all the constant images which is being fed to people are, you are inferior. This is how you need to look. White, long hair, blonde. I'm not sure if you remember about a couple of years ago in Nigeria, There was a sprinter, a 100-meter sprinter, Mm -hmm. and she sprinted, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the sprint, her wig fell off. Mm -hmm. Now, everyone was laughing. I was crying because I was saying, here is a woman again who does not believe that the way she is is perfect. There is some story which is running in her mind which says you need to wear a wig. Your, Your hair needs to be longer. It needs to be straight. These are the tragic consequences of stories, which is still being played around the world. Yeah.
1: Now listen, stories uh, give life meaning and predictability. Yep. Our perception uh, interprets our control. Our emotions mm-hmm. moves us to approach or avoid, and our thoughts translate our emotions about us and them. These are, these are things that uh, Stephen talked about in his book. Uh, we don't have yeah. much time left, Stephen, so do me a favor. Tell folks how they can find you, how and where they can find your book, uh, and we will definitely have you on to continue because this is this is 400 pages of beauty, 350 pages of <laughs> tribute. So how there can they f- how can they find your new book? And you just published it. so how can they find it?
2: I, I did actually just publish it about eight weeks ago. I'm actually focusing really right now on Curacao and uh, the Caribbean to sell it. Uh, but you can actually find it on Amazon. Um, it's on Amazon.com. It's called Breaking Rank. Um, and, you know, currently setting up a whole social media campaign about it because I really want to go out there into the world, especially the world which has been made to believe that they are less than other people. So um, in the next couple of months, you'll see a big social media campaign and really really promote this book. Right. and uh, So to, uh, by y- Breaking right go out on Amazon. It's been endorsed by both David Allen and uh, Marshall Goldsmith. Yes, excellent. Uh, two uh, New York Times bestsellers. So I'm really proud of that, and uh, they're lovely people.
1: All right, now we've, uh, we've been talking to Stephen W., and let me spell his last name, C as in Charlie, O-U-T-I-N-H-O, C-O-U-T-I-N-H-O, now, go out and find the book on Amazon, Breaking Rank. It's an incredible book. I've got it all marked up, all 300-plus pages, and we will continue talking to Stephen. Stephen, thank you for coming on uh, the show today, and I really hope we get a chance to talk to you more.
2: Uh, absolutely, Carl. Thanks so much for having me on your program. Yeah. Uh, I've loved listening to it. Ever since we met, I've gone through your website, and I love the talk. So thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. I'm on.
1: Thank you. We, uh, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. You're listening to... Silicon Valley
0: Business Connections. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Business Connections with Carl Davis Jr. and brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce. More information about today's show is available by going to the Chamber's website, blackchamber.com. That's blackchamber.com. Or call 408-288-8806. That's 408-288-8806. Copies of our podcast are available online at blackchamber.com. If you would like to know more about a specific guest or make recommendations for upcoming guests and topics, email info at blackchamber.com. Keeping you connected, Silicon Valley Business Connections.